Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. One of the greatest joys of ministry for me has been developing great friendships with other pastors. This is one of the blessings of being part of a church planting network. In the New Testament, we find the Apostle Paul regularly visiting his friends, encouraging his friends, being comforted by his friends, doing ministry with his friends, and even getting beaten up with his friends. Uh, We find him praying with and for his brothers and sisters that were members of different churches in different cities, and we find them rejoicing in the gospel together. When it comes to church planting, we are better together. We need each other as we press on in this good work of scattering communities of light in every nook and cranny of this dark world. We don't need more adoring fans. We need actual friends. With me on the podcast today is my good friend, Harvey Turner. Harvey and I have been friends for over 10 years, even though we live on opposite sides of the country. He is the pastor of Redeemer Burbank in California. He's a well-known speaker, a respected leader in Acts 29, and an author. He is married to Rachel. And last year, Harvey and I were together, and Harvey suggested that he interview me instead of me interviewing him. And so I'm not sure how this is going to work today, but I want to invite you in uh, into this conversation between two sinners saved by Jesus' amazing grace who have been brought together as partners in the gospel. Harvey, great to see you, man. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, man. It's always good to be with you, bro. I appreciate you a lot. So, uh, yeah, man. Uh, today, I'm interviewing you. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm not sure how beneficial it will be, but uh, I, I I think you recommended this, what, a year or so ago, and I, I haven't, I, I didn't agree to it. I asked around, and people said, yeah, you should give it a shot. So, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, it's just great to see you, brother, and uh, fire away, man. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing well. It's a busy time right now. My wife and I are moving closer to uh, the church building. Uh, we've we've uh-huh. had a commute since we started. You know, we were like most church planters. We didn't know where we were going to end up in terms of facility, uh, permanent, you know, permanent facility. We finally bought a church building uh, about three years ago as a church. And um, it required, you know, a bit of a commute, and I just never really liked being that far away from uh, the building, even though we're in a commuter, you know, suburbia area where people drive, uh, you know, all the time. But I still have dreamed of walking to the church, walking to the gym, you know, walking to the grocery store and all that good stuff. So we finally found a place, finally got in the right season where we could transition our kids in terms of school and everything. And so... Busy week. We're we're um, making all that transition this week. Yeah, and uh, how's the church doing? Church is doing well. So we um, this year will turn nine years old. Um, started out kind of a typical church planter story, I guess. Uh, in my house, I don't, <laughs> a lot of church planter stories start like that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. We uh, started in a middle school, moved into a, a kind of a storefront. We were there for a long time, uh, roughly five years. Um, did a high school for 18 months while we kept the storefront as we were growing, trying to figure out uh, the best way to, um, you know, accommodate for, for growth. And then about three years yeah. ago, uh, found a, a church building in a great part of town, um, 
a great piece of property, a good building, not, not a perfect building, you know, not the building we would have built per se, but it served us well. Um, and it's really, it's really enabled us to reach a, really a different demographic uh, uh, in this season of our, our church life. Um, started out with a lot of college students. Um, uh, we had uh, folks from the seminary. We had, uh, you know, RDUs filled with college students. So, uh, and then a lot of graduates who stay in the city. And so very, very young uh, church. And now starting to get some age. Uh, I'm starting to get some age as well. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny when you start out the church. It, everybody's complaining that the elders are too young, and and now now the, not many people say that anymore. Um, <laughs> but man, I love it. I love um, I love preaching at IDC. I love our people. I love Sundays. Um, and um, you know, I walked into the church building this morning at seven thirty. Uh, and I just said, man, I love this church. I, I love being here. So yeah. um, I, I've had a bit of a struggle, honestly. I, we've talked about this some probably on the podcast. Um, but I, I miss the early days of church planting. I miss the challenge. I miss the, um, the adventure, the, um, the underdog spirit, you know. Um, and it took me a while to get kind of get settled into um, – the idea of being here, you know, for the long yeah. haul. And, and uh, you know, the Lord can do anything with, with our lives, as you well know. He can, he can yeah. move us next year. But we really are at a good point of, of contentment and happiness here. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the Lord uh, will do with our lives, but I've tentatively planned out my preaching calendar for, through retirement. So uh, wow. I've got it <laughs> planned out where I can I want to preach through the entire Bible. And we've we've preached through about a third of the books right now, and I, if the Lord would give us health and the ability, and we do stay, you know, that long, that would that would I would want to. The idea of I've been here 25 years and preached through every book of the Bible, you know, I yeah. feel like that's a good place to finish. Um, yes, with I've made a ton of mistakes and failed people and failed in many different ways, but I feel like that's a, a noble goal to be able to say. You know, you you uh, you fought a good fight. You you taught the word, and yeah, um, you know. So uh, yeah, that's just you know, that's my that's my that's my dream right now. Um, marriage is good. Uh, we have five kids, ages fifteen to twenty. Um, you know, that's quite a challenge. All those teenagers and uh, yeah. and James, who's twenty. <laughs> So yeah. that that's always been for me. As I've talked to people, one of our biggest prayer requests, biggest burdens, is just. Uh, raising five children, they all come, uh, you know, through adoption. Uh, yeah. All have various uh, challenges, and um, it's been a sanctifying experience. We would do it all over again, though, uh, you know. Yeah. But it's been on top of church planting, well, adoption. We, you know, we did them both basically at the same time, and uh, it's it's been very, very, uh, very trying. So first sabbatical that mm -hmm. I've ever had uh, coming up this summer, and and really looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah, man. Well, <clears throat> your church um, and and you and your preaching are blessing to so many people. In fact, I always recommend, you know, when people ask me what podcasts to listen to, sermon podcasts, I always recommend yours probably first. And um, so uh, I think your preaching ministry, your Christ-centered expositional preaching, I think is a good model for a lot of young church planners that uh, want to preach the Bible. And uh, man, I look forward to hearing you preach through 
all of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> I'm going to join you on that journey through podcast. And man, um, we're doing. Uh, you know, last week I was in I was in Minnesota at, at Piper's conference, pastors' conference. Yeah, and um, you know he's been a hero of, of many of us for for years. Yeah. and so anytime you get a couple minutes with John Piper, you never you never forget it. And oh, um, yeah. so I was digging at him a little bit because we're preaching through Ecclesiastes, and I said. Hey, I notice on Desiring God on the Scripture Index, uh, there's the only book of the Bible that you don't have there is Ecclesiastes, and um, <laughs> he said, "Well, I don't have Song of Solomon either." I'm like, "Really? Because we're doing that next. We're going from Ecclesiastes to Song of Solomon." Um, so wow. uh, we, we had a, we had a fun interaction. He was like, "Please teach me Ecclesiastes real quick." <laughs> I was like, well, "No, that's that, not how this I'm works." I'm glad man. you got a chance to uh, disciple Piper. He's, he <laughs> yeah. needs it. I was like, "I don't think you." understand dr piper the way this works is i'm asking the questions and i'm i'm taking <laughs> notes okay um <laughs> well that's funny yeah. oh well hey i got a few questions i want to ask you about um yeah, yeah and um yeah i i guess first thing you know you've been hosting this podcast but people don't know a lot about you probably so maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you came to faith how you became a pastor um you know you pursued a doctorate so talk about that a little bit. Yeah, man, I have very, very humble roots. Uh, I don't know exactly how the metaphor uh, goes, but you know, someone has said when you if you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you can be sure that the turtle didn't get up on the fence post by himself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that's the way I feel about my life. It's like um, I, I was born in uh, Detroit, Michigan, uh, downriver, and uh, to a long line of uh, Union factory workers and. Um, my uh, my mom was from Kentucky, and uh, they my, met my dad. They they lived in Detroit about seven years, moved down to Kentucky uh, after uh, uh, a lot of hardship, crime, and so on in the in the neighborhood. They just had all they could take basically, and um, moved us to a really small town in uh, southeastern Kentucky. And uh, yeah, I was loved well by my parents. Um, we uh, we not we were not poor. We were kind of you know blue collar family. Um, mm. um, but it, it is kind of a depressed area that, that I grew up in. It's not an area that anybody would vacation to, you know, and <laughs> then we would take all of our vacations to Detroit. So my dad would take all his vacation days to, to go back up and see family. So I spent wow. my first 20 years of Christmas, I guess, in, in Michigan. Uh, and then we would go up every summer and watch the Tigers play. And, um, so that was, <laughs> that was kind of back and forth, you know, from Kentucky to, uh, Detroit, um. My dad was not a Christian until about nine years ago, and by God's grace, I had the privilege of baptizing him, and he's been really growing in the Lord. It's been awesome to see. My mom was a Christian, is a Christian, um, you know, faithful uh, prayer warrior, and um, it would take me to church growing up. I, you know, gospel seeds were planted, but um, I really was, you know, the the you know the, the 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 desire for the things of this world would choke the word as as the yeah. parable, you know, describes. So there was no life there. There was an interest at periods of time in my life as a young kid, but I was I was wrapped up into relationships. I was, you know, um, just a social socialite and uh, athlete. Yeah. So I went to college on a, a full baseball scholarship, played at a small school in Kentucky called Cumberland, and I uh, was a four-year starter at shortstop and uh went to uh i think i went to three tryout camps for the for the majors and it wasn't wasn't good enough um but by that time i'd become a christian and um 
yeah. as a sophomore and heard uh, a seminary professor preach as a junior, and he did expositional preaching. And I said, I want to do that the rest of my life. And so I, mm. I, uh, when I finished college, I packed a, a trunk and uh, sold my car. It was a beat-up car and flew to New Orleans and lived with uh, mm. some folks on faculty. They gave me a spare bedroom that they had. It was pink. It had little bunny rabbits and, <laughs> and, and women's hats. They were expecting a girl and, you know, never got one. And that's that's where I lived. I worked in the gym on campus. And I was I was very intimidated by academia, and uh, mm. in fact, I, I thought I was going to quit the first day. I went to class, got a syllabus, and I was like, I don't know what these words mean. And I had a friend mm. who who challenged me to stay for one semester. He said you should stay at least one semester. So I committed to one semester and ended up uh, really loving it. And especially my master's uh, degree was super formative for me um, in developing my ecclesiology, probably more than anything. Um, yeah, and um, uh, developing my understanding of preaching, um, what, what what the church is about. I had an interest in church planting uh, as a student, as a master student. I was actually in the church planting program. This was before, you know, Acts twenty nine or, or most of the things that we know today in the world of church planting. But I didn't yeah. really have a mentor. Our professors had had moved uh, uh, at various points, and so. Uh, our church wasn't really talking about church planting, and so I just put it on the shelf for a while. Uh, ended up taking a traditional church in New Orleans and was pastoring there uh, at age 27. And uh, we went through Hurricane Katrina eight months in, and really, you know, it was a crazy ride, a very uh, exhausting experience. We entered back into um, church planting uh, uh, discussions, um, and I wanted to plant in Washington, D.C. My wife's from that area, and I love D.C., and um, uh, we thought we were going to plant there. And then uh, the seminary where I'd been in school in New Orleans offered me a, uh, to be a dean of the chapel and a preaching professor. So I took that, but I thought I would plant a church in New Orleans and be on faculty there. And uh, long story short, things just didn't work out the way I anticipated. Um, I then um, became an interim pastor at a very large church in Mississippi, filled with some wonderful people, and I was the interim for about 18 months. So I was teaching in New Orleans. I would drive up to uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, home of Brett Favre, incidentally, and um, <laughs> and uh, where he went to USM. And um, and we, we had a great time. Um, and then I became the pastor there in kind of a transitional season of, of life. And that's where I met you at, uh, I was, yeah. we, as we were part of Leadership Network. And the thing about it was I, uh, church planting had never left my heart. I had done, it seemed like everything but plant a church. And I remember yeah. that first Leadership Network meeting that, that you and I were in, um, in Dallas. I called my wife that night and um, I said, baby, we got to plant a church before we die. And she said, yeah, I'm <laughs> thinking in about three years. <laughs> and I just remember sitting in those rooms with you guys. It was 16 guys under the age of 40 who were uh, pastoring churches uh, over 800. I think that was the uh, criteria yeah. for that particular group. And um, all your problems were different than my problems. We all had problems, but I was like, I like church planting problems better uh, <laughs> than, than traditional church problems. And anyway, yeah. um, I met Tyler Jones, uh, who's pastor here in the city with me uh, at Vintage, great friend. And he invited me up to an Acts 29 boot camp. And uh, we, Raleigh was on our short list to, to plant in. And so I went to the boot camp, drove around the city. Um, and then uh, along the way, uh, the seminary at uh, in Wake Forest, Southeastern, 
um, heard I was interested in planting and asked if I would be interested in teaching. And uh, that worked well because I love teaching and I needed a job. And we had five kids and yeah. we needed insurance. And um, it was a great season, six plus years uh, teaching yeah. at the seminary while uh, planting a church, while having five newly adopted uh, kids. Uh, and after about six years, it was just really hard to keep up with the, the growth of the church and all of yeah. the complexities of the church and be a full-time faculty member too. And so uh, we parted ways uh, with uh, Southeastern and uh, still mm. love and respect them and support them. Great friends there. Um, but the last three years, I've been really just pouring in as much as I can into IDC. Uh, along the way, um, you know, Acts 29 asked me to do some things. I just volunteered and had to do the podcast the first year. And, yeah. um, and then um, they added some stuff to my plate as we um, developed a partnership with the Gospel Coalition, which has been really wonderful, producing yeah. blogs uh, there. Um, and so now we're here uh, looking at nine years. Uh, hopefully uh, we mm -hmm. can make that 10-year anniversary next year. I've got Ray Ortland committed to preaching on our 10-year anniversary. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, so I've got to make it at least 10 years, man, to have Ray there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's great. Uh, I love that story. I love your guys' journey. So thankful for you guys. Um, and one of the things that I think as getting to know you that has struck me is the role that uh, Kimberly plays in your life and ministry. And you guys are really partners in the gospel mm -hmm. together. Can you talk about that a little bit? Kimberly is obviously Tony's wife. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got one wife, um, and uh, she's the boss, man. Um, and Kimberly and I met at youth camp. Uh, she was not a camper, though. She was she was on staff with me. Um, and w we met doing ministry, and I think that was very important because we've only known each other uh, in the realm of ministry. There was no abrupt shift of career or anything like that that can often make you know, marriages in ministry challenging. Um, yeah. But she only knew me as the camp pastor. Um, and I still remember 2002 at Union University. I preached uh, every night for 10 weeks, had Saturdays off. But every night, and, uh, you know, I preach the same sermons, usually tweak a little bit uh, each, each week. But she was sitting in the front row. I don't know. It was week three or four. I still remember what she was wearing. And I just, I just sensed, I'm going to marry this girl. And, yeah. um, I tried to flirt with her all summer and she wouldn't flirt with me. But, um, uh, she, she went back to her room that night and told her friend that I think I'm going to marry a pastor. Now, unfortunately mm. she didn't say me, but she, she had <laughs> moved, you know, from thinking she might marry someone in the military to, to a pastor. And then, uh, I asked her out uh, after worship one night to go to Starbucks with me, and I had Shane and Shane in the tape deck uh, of my <laughs> Toyota Celica, and we, we went nice. and got a latte. Uh, that was kind of our first date. Um, yeah, man, and from there, we, we just had a long-distance dating relationship. We got married. Um, we lived in the hood in New Orleans, first year of marriage, made no money. I was a youth evangelist traveling around preaching. Um, um, she was doing a, a, a program through the seminary, taking senior adults on mission trips in, in New Orleans. Uh, and then oh, wow. I, took, I took a pastorate in New Orleans, and Kimberly was very, very much part of that um, um, and always has been. She was uh, leading a lot of ministries in the city, uh, in that church, through the to the battered women's shelters, the homeless shelters, a lot of kind of mercy work. Um, but she was also our pianist and uh, was, was help, helping to lead worship as well. Um, and then... Um, you know the church plant. Obviously, um, she's been she's been vital, um, yeah. and 
it really is a partnership in ministry. I mean, uh, Kimberly's a complementarian, as I am, um, as yeah. we are in <laughs> Acts 29. But I, I yeah. think the the good kind of complementarian, um, yeah. where I, I don't see that, that Kimberly is, uh, you know, just doing uh, one or two things, and she's not allowed to do this or this. We don't even think like that. We, we think in terms yeah. of, um, man, we're doing ministry together. Um, so what that means practically is, um, and she helps me in sermon prep. Uh, I work early in the week to get my, my sermon finished, but I'm often mm. discussing it with her. I'll usually have yeah. three or four different outlines in mind, and I'll say, hey, what, which one do you think the people would grasp best? What's the best uh, way to, yeah. to say this? Um, or it's just also helpful just to get a female's perspective on your application Absolutely. in the sermon. So that that's yeah. really useful as, as she interacts a lot with uh, ladies in our church, especially single ladies, um, yeah. often neglected in a church. And application is often really focused on families in a lot of church settings. It may not be so out in Burbank or in D.C. or New York where you've got a lot of singles, but but in a lot of areas, you know, it's everything is so heavily family. And um, yeah. I understand why that is, but we've worked hard to, in our pastoral prayers as well as our preaching, to really try to apply the text to uh, the whole spectrum of people in our church. And um, yeah. so she's been really helpful in that. Man, she's she's done a ton of work in mercy justice, uh, really around the world, and she speaks at a lot of women's events, that sort of thing. So, yeah, um, we we really do have uh, a, a tremendous marriage, and um, yeah. I couldn't praise the Lord enough. She's a great mom. Um, she's really firm with the kids. I'm I'm kind of the mercy mm. guy. Uh, I get yeah. <laughs> brought in with with the real big problems, but usually uh, I'm, I'm the, I'm, I'm the, uh, the mercy dad and the kids yeah. come running to me. Um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, we're going on 17 years and wow. yeah, I couldn't be happier. Yeah. And I think, uh, just knowing you guys and seeing how you do ministry together, even as you're talking about your, you're talking through sermons and you're planting a church together. Um, I, I think it's a beautiful way for, yeah, for it to be done and a be- beautiful way to uh, express complementarianism as, yeah. as we do ministry together. Yeah, and decision-making. You know, I didn't mention that, but like even yeah. moving that I mentioned, like this has been together. I've wanted to move for two or three years closer to our church building, but it's, mm. you know, I wait on her. And um, it's not that she's in control or she's leading. It's that we, we're we making decisions together, and I'm, I'm yeah. listening to her. She's listening to me. And um I think I really think leaders in general um, lead by consensus uh, best. There, there's a there's a time yes. in which you might have to be that minority voice or whatever, and really, you know, yeah. be strong headed. Or, but usually, I think it is it's unity. It's moving moving people together, and I think I think that's the the same in a in a family. Absolutely, um, mm-hmm. yes. Consensus is mm-hmm. such a better way to approach it. Um, so one of the things you guys did together. Uh, so you planted a church together, um, but you also uh, have ta- orphan care has been a mm-hmm. part of your guys' ministry together and um, even in your own household. So um, can you, I know that's a big part of your ministry. And um, so can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a whole other podcast, you know, but um, <laughs> I had some friends that adopted um, and uh, that really made an impact on me. My sister adopted um, from from Ethiopia, um, but re- it was really the scriptures just digging into. I, I feel like I had a blind spot in my discipleship early on in, in the realm of neighbor love and mercy. Yeah, and um, 
I, I think it was the fear of liberalism or the social gospel. Um, but as I just began to read through the scriptures, this God's constant concern for the vulnerable, for the marginalized, for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, um, it's, it's, it's just all over the place. And um, yes. I, was, I was convicted uh, as I was preaching um, at, a, at a youth camp. They asked me to do uh, the morning Bible studies on the poor. And I started prepping, and as I was preaching that week about how we got to take care of orphans and et cetera, I was just convicted by my own preaching because wow. I, couldn't, I could not name an orphan. And hmm. I was like, um, shouldn't I know some orphans? Shouldn't I know some widows? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, and I felt like I had measured spiritual maturity by how much I was keeping up with the Christian subculture. Um, yeah. You know, how, how many books I read, how many people I knew, rather than how much I was looking more and more like Christ. And I felt like my public life was in many ways outshining my private life. And I didn't want that to be the case. And I wanted I wanted our family um, to to uh, I, I wanted there to be just, you know, integrity through and through. And I just felt like, yeah. man, we, we've got a home. We've got money. Um why aren't we thinking about adoption? Um, yeah. We 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 uh, initially did not go into it because of infertility. Uh, we had, uh, you know, those those problems later. But um, we were just motivated because we wanted to care for kids. Thought we were going to adopt two kids. We're approved for two kids under the age of five, and um, um, went to Ukraine and found a sibling group of four. And yeah. uh, changed all of our paperwork and stayed over there 40 days and ended up bringing home four Ukrainian uh, biological siblings, ages four, six, seven, and nine. That was about 12 years ago. And then uh, Joshua about 11 years ago from Ethiopia. We got home, and after about a year, we, we thought we had room for one more and, um, and went and got <laughs> Joshua. And so it's just been a crazy journey. My sister went to get two kids as well. She did and found out one had three other siblings. And so she ended up with five. So we we both have five adopted wow. kids, even though we both just went to get two. Um, so <laughs> it's been it's, it's, it's a lot of fun when we get together on Thanksgiving. Yeah, man. Uh, that's great. And I think that that is, um, for anybody listening, I would recommend Tony's. He has a couple books uh, that touch on this topic. Ordinary touches on this topic. And then uh, what's the name of your uh, other book on um, orphanology? Orphanology. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, yeah. So if you want to explore that a little further. A moment ago, you talked about um, collaborative leadership. And um, talk about that, how that functions in your church. Yeah. So we, we practice plurality as well as parity. So we have a plurality of pastors and we have equal authority. Um, I don't have any more authority than the other uh, eleven elders. Mm. What that means is um, we make we make decisions uh, in consensus, in unity. Um, and I may have a lot of ideas, and I do have a lot of ideas, and but we don't always do Tony's ideas. And I'm yeah. at times frustrated with that. I'm at times grateful for that. Um, but overall, I think it's the healthiest, is the wisest. A way to 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 lead. Uh, those twelve yeah. elders have a handle on the church, so every elder oversees a particular number of small groups. Uh, so they're 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 uh, with those groups. They're meeting with the leaders of those groups. They have a good sense of the church, and uh, when we meet together, I feel like there's there's a sense of where we ought to be going, what we ought to be doing, what the problems are, those kinds of things. So plurality and parity are huge for us. Um, 
I, I've written about this, but not everybody agrees with what I'm going to say, but I, we don't hold to a um, first among equals uh, mm. kind of uh, eldership. Um, I understand why people do, and I, I don't think that's like wrong or evil or anything, but um, yeah. we, we, uh, we push back on it and say that, um, that we, help, we have first among equals depending on the issue. Yeah. So, you know, when you have plurality, we have guys who are gifted uh, and passionate about different things and in different ways. So, you know, when it comes to the preaching schedule, yeah, I am the first among equals. Um, when, it, when it comes uh, maybe to church planting vision, I'm, I'm the first among equals. But when it comes to budget, when it comes to certain shepherding things, I'm not. And I think the way that has to—the only way that can work is if the elders are not opinionated— and strong-headed about everything. And so, yeah. we, right, we, we, what we often say is on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at? And if you're a 2 on the scale of passion on a thing, you just defer. Um, yeah. And so if we have a guy who's an 8 on, um, you know, our hospitality's not good anymore. We need more greeters at the front. Well, now now he's in charge of that, um, you know, because the other guys won't be as, as zealous uh, we've had concerns about our policies not being ready for the 21st century, you know, wedding policies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah. why don't three of you then, those of you who are really passionate about this, go get to work on it and bring us back a document and let's uh, let's let's sign off on it. And so that's how we, we operate is is really in the realm of uh, who's most passionate, who's most gifted. And let's do, let's, you know, delegate that out in terms of leadership and have a first among equals, uh, depending on the issue. Yeah. So important, uh, especially in light of uh, our world right now. And uh, but having collaborative yeah. leadership and makes a massive difference. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right. So, Tony, one of the ways in which I thought I think I've seen you influence a lot is through your passion for expository preaching and uh, specifically expository preaching that is uh, Christ centered, uh, preaching Christ from all of the scriptures. Um Personally, I think that that is one of the most important issues facing the modern church right now is that we're preaching the scriptures and we're preaching Christ from the scriptures. And um, so you've written about this quite a bit. You wrote a book called Christ Centered Expositor. Um, what, what do you see? It trends in preaching. Um, any advice that you would give for, for pastors that do desire to preach expository sermons that exalt Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So one thing to keep in mind is, you know, when when you and I talk about this, and when we talk about this in within say Acts twenty nine or in some other circles, I think there is sometimes the assumption that more guys are doing this than actually are. Yeah. Um, when the reality is, it is not being done. In fact, I would even say it's not even being promoted in uh, a large number of seminaries. Um, you know, Christ-centered preaching is the whipping boy in a lot of schools. Um, yeah. They they don't understand it. They don't actually read what we're writing about, um, and they make assumptions about what we're doing. Uh, you know, accusations of allegory and all of that. So, yeah. first of all, I would just say, um, as a guy who's written about it, it's easy for me. And and if you're in a certain circle, to feel like, well, you know, let's this is kind of old hat now. This is there's a familiarity with this. Yeah. Um, let's talk about other things, and I, I understand that. But I also want to say, man, um, we have to keep talking about it. Um, 
we we are the tribe and uh, and, and with some other tribes that are promoting yep. it and are doing it and are celebrating it and need to keep doing it um, because the next generation uh, you know will not know Joseph <laughs> uh, yeah like, like like an Exodus you know so um, I'm still mm-hmm. waving the banner and I'm gonna wave the banner until I see Christ um, and then I won't have to preach anymore but uh, <laughs> you know until then uh, I'm saying uh, let let's keep being passionate about this let's keep doing conferences on yeah. Christ Center preaching and let's let's not yeah. stop um, one of the things that I love about Christ Center preaching is is not only do we you know see it modeled for us in the Bible but it's it's it is uh, what is needed around the world um, yeah you know, uh, I, I preached in a leper colony one time in Nigeria, and what people need in a leper colony is not five steps on how to raise their kids. You know, they need yeah. <laughs> they need Christ, and what they need yes. in New York City is Christ. It's it's yes. we preach a person, uh, not a not a system mm. and not a formula, but we we herald a Savior uh, who has revealed Himself in the Word. Who is himself the hero of the Bible, and um, so I just I just one want to say let's not get tired of talking about it. Let's not get tired of promoting it. Uh, let let's keep advocating uh, for Christ-centered exposition. It's it is the great need around the world. Um, with with that said, you know I I tell our guys look when it comes to church planting and when it comes to preaching. Um, just just remember if you're if you're explaining the Bible and you're exalting Christ. And you love your people, um, you're you you are doing a large portion of of what you need to be doing. Uh, the other ten to twenty percent, you're going to learn on the fly. You're going to make some mistakes along the way. Yeah, people are going to get mad at that ten to twenty percent that you're not doing well. Um, but when I come to the end of my life and I can say, every week for by God's grace, you know, twenty five years. I made much of Christ uh, from yeah. His Word, and I loved His people. Um, I failed a lot, but I did those two things. I just feel like that's that's how I want to go out. And yeah, um, so taking the long view of Christ-centered preaching, yeah. you know, not just the practical. How do you do it? Those are great questions. But but man, I I just I want to be as excited about doing this when I'm sixty as I am now. Um, when it comes to improvement, you know, there's a lot I could say. Um, we don't really have the time for it, but uh, this sounds very basic. But you just to be a good preacher, you've got to read the Bible a lot. I yes. mean, more than most people do. More than mo- I mean, mo- more than most pastors do. Um, yeah. Because what happens when you have a hermeneutic that sees Christ in all the scriptures, you begin to develop these instincts. For, for seeing the connections within Scripture. And that's one thing yeah. that sets apart Christ-centered exposition from uh, crazy allegory, and that is there are interbiblical connections that are yeah. already there. They're embedded in the text. There are themes that are woven in the text that converge on Christ. And we're just simply identifying them. We're lifting them out of the text. Uh, they're, they're already there. Yeah. Um, but if you're not, if you're only reading the epistles, um, if if you're not exposing yourself to the whole Bible, reading a lot, then then I think you won't develop the instincts you need to develop. So yeah. I would just say get a practice of reading the scriptures thoroughly over and over again, using commentaries, yep. using study Bibles, whatever you got to use. The second thing I would say is read biblical theology, because to me this this was the missing component when I first started doing expository preaching. Uh, there was the great need of integrating biblical theology with exposition. 
yeah. biblical theology, you know, seeing the themes spread across Scripture, how the, these themes escalate as they move into the New Testament, themes like temple, themes like kingdom, themes like God's presence, yeah. uh, kingship, etc. Um, and the more you are familiar with these themes, you'll be able to do what Brian Chappell uh, describes as reading yeah. the text with a magnifying glass, but also the wide-angle lens. Uh, and yeah. so you'll be able to to see how your text stands in relation to redemptive history and be able to do a both and of preaching what is there in the text, the historical particularities in the text, as well as the, the unified message of the gospel that cr- cuts across the text. And I think that's mm. that's really dynamic preaching. So read biblical theology, Amen. read the Bible a ton. And then thirdly, I would just say listen to guys who do it well and, and yes. listen to them uh, – preach whole books, not just a, a sermon here and there, yeah. but like go journey with a guy through uh, particularly an Old Testament book, I would say. Give and, us a couple of guys you like. Um, so Sinclair Ferguson has, has been huge for me. Uh, sometimes yeah. I have to put my brother Sinclair on double speed, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I love Sinclair. Um, he, in, uh, honestly, the Presbyterians have been doing this sort of thing for a long time. Most of us are in the more Baptist tradition. Or we're trying to catch up. Um, yes. But uh, Sinclair was, has been huge. Um, uh, Russ Moore. Um, uh, yeah. I listened to Russ, Moore, Russ Moore's Sunday school classes on Exodus and mm. Proverbs, and it was mm. it was fantastic. It really helped me see how he would journey through those texts and and uh, make uh, you know legitimate connections to the gospel, and yeah. it warmed my heart. Kind of a Maus Road experience. Uh, he, yeah. He's been great. Honestly, man, there are a lot of guys in Acts twenty nine that I just love to listen yeah, to. I agree, um, yeah, including you, uh, Lucas Parks. Um, yeah. Um, uh, Reuben Hunter in London. I just gave his name to somebody oh, yeah. recently. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I really, it, and some of it depends on on the series who I'm listening to. But you find a guy yeah. who's doing it. Usually, what you can do is actually look at good commentaries that where yeah. this is practiced in those commentaries and see who wrote it. They chances are they preached it first or second, yeah. and just go find their sermons and listen. That's also helpful. Um, but but the more you listen and you just you begin to to train yourself in these sensibilities and these these instincts. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And then on the last couple of questions on the Bible reading, uh, what does your Bible reading look like? Uh, how much you you know do you read through it every year? What do you do? Yeah, I've done different things through the years, but the main thing I do is I, I read. Um, I guess the prime the the one thing I've done. Every year is, is is I read five psalms and a proverb every day. That's just for my own heart, devotion, prayer life, worship life, and usually I'm doing that the old Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan. Yeah, and um, that you know gets you through the Bible and um, was a New Testament twice. Um, yep, and I I have usually have the ESV Study Bible on hand or Logos on hand and. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a good hour of reading um, that I'll do pretty much every day, unless I, something's coming up, you know, that prevents me. And if you miss a day, it's okay; it's not the end of the world. Jesus still loves yeah. you, and uh, you just yeah. press on the, tomorrow. But uh, I try yeah. the, the discipline of reading across the Bible, and then having some helps there with you. Um, mm-hmm. And there are some days where I don't read all four of those chapters. Sometimes I'm like, man, this chapter on Job just has me. You know, fired yeah. up, and I want to explore that more. And so I don't read it; I use it as a guide and not as a law. You know, to, to yeah. help me get through the word. Man, that's super helpful. Well, thank you for all you do uh, for the kingdom for Acts twenty nine. Uh, thank you for hosting this podcast. I know it's a blessing to a lot of people, 
and it was my honor to host today and uh, interview you, bro. So maybe we could do it again sometime on some specific topic. Thanks, brother.